grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. We'll also be spending some time uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Mighty Father, we give you thanks this day. You have been so gracious and generous to us. You have given us all the treasures of heaven in your Son, Jesus Christ, and you have promised to provide for us our daily bread. So now, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to trust you in this. Help us to live by faith so that we might be able to love those around us according to your will. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name. It's always an interesting thing. I think it's always a a challenging thing uh, to hear the book of Ecclesiastes read in the church. Like when you come to church, you come here and you expect to hear the word of God in this place. And like like from back here, from behind the rail, this is like the place of God's word. And from here, you expect to hear that incredible word that, that kills and makes alive, that condemns sinners and forgives them, that binds and sets free. You expect to hear this word that has its goal of creating faith in your heart so that you might live in love towards your neighbor and trust God for all good things. You are expecting this word that is rich and deep, idol-shattering, God-breathing, death-destroying, and life-giving. And then you hear Ecclesiastes, which says, vanity of vanities, Says the preacher, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. You know what vanity means? It means meaningless, pointless, aimless. Everything's pointless, everything's aimless. It just kind of sucks the air right out of the room. So why is that in the Bible? <laughs> why is this here? What do we do with this book of Ecclesiastes? Well, actually, what you find when you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a, it is a wonderful book. It's a book that we refer to as wisdom literature. Now, this is the part that gets very exciting. I mean, if you're not bored yet, just wait. Uh, but wisdom literature is this genre in the Bible that gives us a lot of like uh, pithy statements, truisms, ideas, and calls on us uh, to, to really dig into those ideas, to, to meditate on them, to, to go deep into what they're saying. Luther says it this way, that when you read the scriptures, especially like the wisdom literature, you should rub it like an herb. And the more you rub the herb, the more nuance you get, the more scent you get, the the more you begin to appreciate what this herb does. So it is when we come to the wisdom literature. We're to dig deep into it. We're to meditate on it. We're to spend time with this word and, and sort of rub it like this herb so that we can learn more and more about what God wants us to know, about how to live wisely in this world. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is one of these sorts of books written for us by a guy named Solomon. We believe Solomon, sort of one of the great kings in the history of Israel, wrote this book for us. And Ecclesiastes is a book that teaches us, as we dig deep into it, how to live by faith. What it means to live by faith. Uh, But it does so in a really interesting and I think kind of fun and challenging way. It teaches us to live by faith by offering us the perspective, at least through parts of it, offering us the perspective of an atheist. And sort of asking the question, what does life look like if you live apart from God? What is the meaning and purpose of life? What's the point of anything if you pursue a life apart from faith and trust in your creator? And this is where the author arrives at the idea that everything is vanity. It's meaningless. 
To try and live your life apart from faith in God leads to meaninglessness. Pointlessness. This is uh, what he's getting at here, uh, also in another spot uh, in the Psalms, where it says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So Ecclesiastes lays out for us what that sort of foolish life actually looks like. So if we want to we understand Ecclesiastes, we've got to spend some time with it. We've got to meditate on it and dig deep into what it's saying today. And so that's what I kind of want to do this morning. I want to dig deep into one of these phrases that we heard in Ecclesiastes today that we also heard used by Jesus in his parable of this sort of foolish rich man. What I want us to do is I want us to think a little bit about how does this phrase uh, teach us to live by faith or does it not teach us to live by faith? What are we to do with a phrase like this? And this is the phrase that came up in both readings. It says this, eat, drink, and be merry. Now you may have heard this said this way in the past, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now let me ask you the question. Is that a good way to live? Or a bad way to live? Is that a good perspective to have of life? Or is it a bad one? Is it one with faith or one without faith? Before you answer, listen to the way that phrase is used in the book of Ecclesiastes today. This is what the author says. And here he's speaking from the perspective of knowing God. He says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. So there... Sounds like a pretty good thing. Eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy your work because this is a gift from God. Seems like a positive. But then Jesus gets his hands on the phrase. And this is what he says. And now he describes a man who lives with this sort of ethos for his life. This eat, drink, and be merry sort of idea is what drives him. And he's a very wealthy man who has a great deal of of, of money and, and grain and all of this sort of thing and a great deal of success. And Jesus describes him this way as this man looks at all at all of his wealth. The man looks at his wealth and says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for your many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, You fool. So which is it? Is it a good way to live or a bad way to live? Is it a faithful way to live? Or is it a foolish way? That's what we want to get into today. And I think the answer to this question really kind of depends. It depends on the position of your hand. That's a weird way of saying it, but what do I mean by that? It depends on the position of your hand. Well, think about it. Uh, Martin Luther, go with me on this. I know this is kind of roundabout, but follow me on this. Uh, Martin Luther, when he died, they found in his pocket a note, the last thing it is believed that he may have written. And on this note, it says, we are beggars. This is true. That's That's a wonderful way of viewing the life. That when we come before God, we are beggars. Now, what is the position of the hands of a beggar? A beggar is someone who comes empty-handed and in need, is dependent on somebody else to provide for them. And as you and I stand before God, we come before God as beggars. uh, What's the old hymn? Nothing in our hands we bring, right? We've got nothing. We come before God with nothing. Now, that's not entirely true. We do bring something to this conversation. But generally, it's guilt and sin and shame, and our hands are filthy with our sins. And so we go before God as beggars with nothing in our hands except our sin and our guilt and our shame. And what does God do? Well, he places the blood of Jesus into our hands. He washes our hands clean with the blood of Christ. 
and then he gives us the forgiveness of our sins, and then he just starts piling one gift upon another into our hands. He gives us the gift of forgiveness. He gives us the promise of everlasting life. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ and says, I'm giving you all the credit for everything Jesus ever did. That's all credited to your account. That's what Jesus does for you. He then gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the promise of everlasting life. And you come before him with empty hands, and then you simply receive all these wonderful gifts. But what's more then, if God is going to take care of us in these heavenly things, he will certainly then provide for us in the earthly things as well. Remember, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you as well. So if you know that he's going to forgive you, and he's kindly disposed towards you, and he's going to give you all good things, you can know that he's going to take care of you in this life. He's going to provide you with daily bread. So you receive from God not just the spiritual blessings, but the material blessings as well. We talked about this last week when we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. We depend on him for everything, not just forgiveness of sins in life and salvation, though he does give those to us graciously. But we also depend on him for food and shelter and clothing and house and home and family and work and friendship and all of these other things. These are blessings, these are gifts that God has given to us by grace alone, apart from any merit or worthiness inside of us. We come to God and God gives us his son and he gives us this day our daily bread. So we receive it. But then, once we have received these things, we look out and we see that there are others around us who need them. So we receive them as a gift and now, open-handedly, we share them with others. We take the blessings we've received and we share them with others who need them. Very often this takes place in our vocation. Right? God provides you with what you need so you can care for your family. God gives you the gifts and talents you have so you can accomplish things at work. God is at work, in fact, through you so that he might bless others around you. You receive the gifts from God so that God, through you, can give gifts to other people. This is a wonderful thing. So it's like this empty-handed, open-handed reception, this open-handed sharing. And we can love with the things we have. We love those people God has placed in our lives. Family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. We love those people who need to be loved. The poor, the hurting, the needy, the suffering, the marginalized. We love those God loves with the gifts he has placed in our hands. You start to think about this. This is like fun. This becomes a great way of living, just trusting God to provide, giving to others, giving to others without fear, knowing that God is always going to take care of you, always provide for you. This is what faith does. Faith results in love. It's this wonderful, joyful way of living, of, of receiving and giving, receiving and giving. You might even say you receive and you give in merriment. You can eat and drink and be merry. You can enjoy your life with the gifts that God has placed into your hands by grace alone. We receive these things trusting God to do what is right and best for us, knowing that no matter what may come, no matter what we might do, God is for us and is looking after us, even if we die. I mean, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So we receive life as a gift. We share what we have with others in love, trusting God through the whole thing. For all of this, Martin Luther might say, it is our duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him, eating, drinking, and being merry. So, that's what Ecclesiastes says to us today. And so in this way, it is a very faithful way. But now Jesus kind of turns the tables on us. 
He says, in faith, this is the way it works, but there are many who do not have such faith, who do not trust God to provide for them, and who do not want to love the neighbor around them. Jesus says their hands are in a different position. They're not receiving open-handedly. They're taking with greed. They're pulling things to themselves. They're hoarding. They're gripping. They're selfish. They're consuming. They take and they keep. Now, Jesus teaches us this today in a really fascinating parable, but I, but I do love the context of the parable. Jesus is out teaching, and, and there's a great crowd around him, and then there's one guy in the back who really likes what Jesus has to say, and so he's kind of like, you know, maybe some of you, who after they hear a sermon that they like, they leave and they say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. I know someone else who needs to hear that sermon. You're like, that was really convicting, you know, for those people over there. I'm fine. They need to hear it. Uh, this guy hears Jesus preaching, and he really likes what Jesus has to say. He thinks his brother needs to hear about Jesus' teaching on love and sharing and all this sort of thing. And so he says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Although I like to kind of read it this way. Jesus said to him, Man, why are you asking me this? That's, but that's not what it is. Uh, man, who made you judge and arbitrator over you? Now notice this. There's two ways in which this guy demonstrates that he does not have faith. First, he doesn't have faith because he totally misunderstands Jesus. He wants Jesus to be his law man. He wants Jesus to be the judge. He wants Jesus to come in and sort of establish justice between him and his brother. He wants Jesus to be the arbitrator in a legal case. This is, for what it's worth, kind of what Moses would do in the Old Testament or many of the kings in the Old Testament. And so this guy is just expecting Jesus to be a new Moses or a new David or a new Solomon or something like this. But Jesus, if you read this before this, has told us he's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Moses. He didn't come to give the law, but he came to forgive sins. Not to be a law giver, but a sin forgiver. Second, the man demonstrates that he doesn't trust God, that he doesn't have faith, because of the way he's treating his brother. The fruit of this unbelief, the fruit of this misunderstanding, is trying to get Jesus to force his brother to be fair and just with him. He wants the inheritance split right down the middle. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever had this experience uh, with a legal battle with your family, but nonetheless, it's not a pleasant thing. And this guy wants justice. He wants fairness. And he probably also wants money in the name of justice and fairness. He wants his fair share in what he has coming to him. And he wants Jesus to be the law to establish that justice. But here's the thing. You, you, you don't always want to ask Jesus to be the law. Because he will. But what he will say will not go well for you. Because he will be the law, but he will take the law and he will turn it on you. And what he does to this man in the crowd is he becomes the law for him, only he takes the law and turns it on the man so that the man is exposed for his greed and his covetousness and his righteousness is destroyed. And he does it by telling this parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, 
eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? Interesting that the man in the crowd didn't say anything else after that. <laughs> but notice how the man in the parable speaks today. Where are his eyes fixed? Where, what are his hands doing? His eyes are fixed on his own belly. His hands are taking strictly for himself. He, it says that the ground or the, the, the farm produced plentifully. That guy didn't do that. That was a straight gift from God. God provided him with all of this. And the guy took God's gifts and he hoarded them for himself. And then notice how he speaks. What shall I do with my crops and the, all the stuff that I have? I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll get a storage unit and I'll fill it up with all of my things so that I don't have to share these with other people. And then I will sit back and I will enjoy my wealth and I will relax and eat and drink and be merry. There is no thanksgiving to the God who provided all of these things for him. He doesn't receive them as a gift. He takes them selfishly as he thinks he's done it himself. And he doesn't share it with others. There's actually a law in the Old Testament that says after you have sort of... Um, Picked all your crops. Leave the leftovers behind so that the poor can come in and take what they need. Uh, leave those behind for them. But this man will have none of it. He takes it all for himself. He's full of greed and selfishness and covetousness. He doesn't trust God to provide. He doesn't love his neighbor. There's no open-handed. It's just taking for himself. He serves himself. He loves himself. And in this way, he thinks he's going to eat and drink and be merry for the rest of his days. Forgetting the rest of the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. So that night, the man receives an uninvited guest, the giver of all good gifts. God himself shows up. He says, you fool, your life is over. You live as a fool, foolishly, as though there is no God. The man said, you only live once, and Jesus came, or I should say, God came and took that life. In his heart, he said there was no God who was a fool and it ended in death. And so God said, or so Jesus said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. To be rich towards God means to give thanks and praise for the gifts he provides for you and to share with those that he's given you in your life. See, what the guy did is he lived by this axiom, eat, drink, and be merry, because, you know, that's what you should do. You should be selfish and take care of yourself and only look to your own interests and your own needs, and your own desires, and your own wants. After all, it's in the Bible, eat, drink, and be merry. But what the guy failed to do was to read the whole verse from Solomon, where Solomon says, we'll read it again, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Nobody, because everything comes to us. From the hand of God. And so this parable today, these verses for us today, serve as a warning. Because the reality is, as you read this parable today, it doesn't just describe a very greedy, selfish man. It kind of describes like the way we Americans are told we're supposed to. Like this, this parable of the rich fool could be described uh, the parable of the average American, right? Hoard, keep, grow, get bigger, do more for yourself. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you make a life for yourself. 
So none of us are fixing our eyes on God, and we're only serving our own pocketbooks. We're only serving our own retirement. We're not worried about the people around us. So this parable, for many of us today, maybe even for you, is a call for you to repent. A call to really re-examine your life, the way you prioritize things. Because many of us here are living as rich fools, trying to eat and drink and be merry, not worried about whether we die. We just want to live for now. But it's my job here today to tell you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to live that way. After all, the Lord God has provided you with everything you need, as we've said already, for life and salvation. Your daily bread is a gracious gift from his mighty hand. Your forgiveness, your life, his mercy, all of it is yours. You have treasures in heaven. You possess the Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of your baptism. And he has given you everything good that you need. The Lord provides. The Lord takes care of you. And he's promised he will not stop. You can receive open-handedly all the gifts God has to give you with joy. Think about how this works with your salvation. All of this God has done for you by grace. And as we said earlier, as he saved you and forgiven you all by his grace alone, if he loves you enough to do that, he will certainly be gracious and merciful towards you in providing you with daily bread that you can live your life in faith, trusting him in love, being generous towards others, knowing all the while the only hand that's gripping anything that matters is God's hand as he holds you in the grip and he will not let you go. So that you can, in fact, eat, drink, and be merry for all the gifts that God has he has given for you. Amen. We pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have given us all the gifts we need in heaven and on earth. Lord God, we pray that you would teach us to trust you. Help us to cling tightly to your word, even as your word clings tightly to us. Forgive us, God, for our selfishness and for our greed. Teach us to be generous, trusting that you will provide us with all that we need. We ask this in Jesus' most precious name.